Hey Rebels, I got a show today about Omar Khadr again. Uh, this time it's not so much about his appearance on the CBC show in Quebec called Tout le monde en parle. It's more the public reaction to the CBC treating him like a celebrity and their reaction to that reaction. I don't think they've ever faced that kind of pushback before. It was quite something. I take you through some, I hope you enjoy it. Hey, before I, uh, I cork it and get on with the monologue, can you do me a favor and go to the rebel.media slash shows or make a note to do it later and become a premium subscriber. Number one, you're gonna see, that'll give you access to the TV version of this. So you get the video. And with this, I got a bunch of video clips today. You're gonna wanna see them. Number two, you get access to Sheila Gunn Reed's show and David Menzies show, and they're great. And finally, it helps pay the bills around here, so we could use the help. So please go to the rebel.media slash shows, and it's eight bucks a month, people. I mean, that's like half a, half a latte at Starbucks. All right, without further ado, here is part two of the Omar Carter CBC Love Affair. Tonight, the CBC is stunned to find the entire country is revolted by Omar Khadr and their celebrity welcome of him. It's April 23rd, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Ezra. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Yesterday, we showed you the depths to which Justin Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster has fallen. They turned Omar Khadr into a glittering celebrity, the terrorist. They treated him like a star. It was sick. <laughs> well, the public reaction in the last day or so has been quite something, and the CBC just doesn't know what to do with it. But first, let me remind you a little bit of just how deep Trudeau is into Omar Khadr. As you know, Trudeau gave Khadr a secret $10.5 million payment and an apology. Now, I say it was secret because Trudeau conspired with Cotter's lawyers to make the massive payment to him without it coming to the knowledge of Tabitha Spear or Lane Morris, who are suing Omar Cotter for murdering Tabitha's husband, Christopher Spear, and for blinding Lane in one eye. Now, this was not a court-ordered payment that Canada was compelled to make. This was a voluntary payment made willingly, made happily, made lustily by Trudeau, who has never met a terrorist he didn't like. Trudeau has ties to the cottage we don't even know about. Remember when Joshua Boyle, who took his pregnant wife to Afghanistan to join up with the Taliban, and who, by the way, is now on trial for very serious, violent offenses against his wife, offenses that were being investigated by police when Joshua Boyle met again, secretly, with Trudeau. The only reason we found out about it was this tweet by the Boyles, by Boyle himself. This picture published boastfully by Joshua Boyle reveals the secret. You know, he's not as smart as Omar Carter, who's quite good at keeping secrets, but look at what Boyle says. <clears throat> it's not his first meeting with Justin Trudeau. That was in 06 in Toronto over other common interests. Ha ha. That sounds like a reference to the fact that Boyle used to be married to Omar Khadr's disgraceful, horrific, satanic sister, Zainab Khadr, this bestial woman. Why does nobody say you killed three of his friends? Why does everybody say he killed an American soldier? Big deal. <laughs> yeah, so Trudeau and the Khadr sound like they go back quite a while. Lots of secrets that we don't know about yet. 
So we know that about Trudeau, and we know that the country was outraged by his payoff. I think Trudeau was a bit shocked, though, because everyone in his circles, everyone he knows and talks to, love Cotter. Media elites, legal elites, diplomatic elites, he's the perfect symbol, Omar Cotter is, for the left. He lets the left hate America, blame America. He lets the left sympathize with terrorists. <clears throat> he lets them hate our own country, Canada. He plays the victim, even though he is a murderer. Anyways, Trudeau, I think, was a bit surprised by the public reaction. He even said in what was probably his least credible lie since that old chestnut, I think she experienced it differently than me. Um, Trudeau said that he really didn't want to give Cotter the money. He's just as angry as you are about it, people. <laughs> anyway, so that's the background. Trudeau's a Cotter lover, evidently has been for many years, at least a decade, a dozen years. Well, what do you think Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster thinks of Cotter? Well, obviously the same. Look at this star-studded entrance again. Take a look. Omar Cotter. They had music, they had disco lights. They had disco lights in there. The warm handshake. That's a warmer handshake than the CBC would give to most businessmen, than to many elected officials. That's the handshake of admiration and gratitude and excitement. And look at the look on the face of that journalist, admiration of happiness. I'm talking about the CBC hack. Of course, Cotter just can't believe he's living in such a clown world where the state broadcaster of Canada, a country he tried to destroy, a country whose soldiers he tried to kill with IEDs. This is a, an Al-Qaeda video of Omar Cotter making IEDs in Afghanistan. He was planting them in Afghanistan. And for all we know, he did, in fact, kill Canadians with those IEDs. He can't believe that the country he tried to, his best to murder, made him a millionaire and is now treating him like a millionaire rock star. Treating him like they treat his friend, Justin Trudeau. I want to show you a bit more from that show. It's called Tout le monde en parle. It's French CBC. So you understand the public reaction since then. Remember, this aired on Easter Sunday. Shocking in itself. But then remember that Islamic terrorists murdered more than 300 people, Christians, on Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka that very day. And the CBC thought this was a good idea. Yesterday, I played you this absurd clip. I think this settlement is not only for me, it's for every Canadian to a degree to ensure that our government does not participate in torturing its citizens. So I know some people might be offended by it, uh, but I think it's, it's for all of us. Yeah, they were nodding along. No, no, no. That was Trudeau giving a special gift to his terrorist friend and his terrorist friend's lawyers. And he hid it from the real victims. He secretly transferred the money so it wouldn't go to the widow, Tabitha Spear, and to Lane Morris. There were other lies that night, none of them challenged by the CBC, of course, <clears throat> like this one. Well, there's what I remember, uh, or what I thought I remember, and then there's what the evidence was. So I, from the time I regained consciousness, uh, I was told that I had killed uh, an American soldier, and for... Uh, the eight years, I believe that I must have done it. 
because I was told that I was the only survivor and that I had done it. So I believed in that uh, all the way up to uh, the trial. And then I started hearing uh, alternate uh, uh, scenarios mm -hmm. and different testimonies. So I can't tell you exactly what's uh, the true story. That's a lie. In fact, Omar Khadr made a very detailed, multi-page confession, approved, signed on every page by his very zealous lawyers. His confession went into meticulous detail as to what he did on that fateful day that he murdered Christopher Spear, and before then, how he hated Jews and Americans, how he was paid a bounty to kill them, how he was trained in everything from spying to using poison. But the CBC accepted the Al-Qaeda lie that, oh, I didn't do anything, at least I don't remember it, and they just told me later and I bought their lies. <laughs> that he was just a translator there, kids. Um, I don't think my dad knew the extent of what I was doing. Uh, that was not the first time I was uh, sent, me or my siblings were sent to uh, translate. Yeah, just an interpreter. As you can see in this video I just showed you, he's translating. He's translating his hatred for infidels into making IEDs, improvised explosive devices here. That's his translation. He said he was just a youngster doing what adults told him to do, but that's not true either. Before the U.S. attacked the little fort that Cotter was holed up in, they called out on loudspeakers through translators for any women and children to leave the bunker before the Americans attacked it. And, and, and the women and children did leave, but not Cotter. He was just a few weeks shy of his 16th birthday, and he wanted to murder an American. And in fact, when he was captured, the first thing he said, looking up at the Americans, he swore at them, and then he said, kill me now, so he could go be a martyr and get his 72 virgins. And when he was in Guantanamo Bay, he told guards that murdering Sergeant Spear was the greatest day of his life. What's the greatest day of your life? Was it when you graduated from school? Was it when you got married? Was it when you had your first child? For Omar Khadr, the greatest day of his life was when he murdered an American. But now he tells the CBC, no, 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 no. I didn't do that. No, it's just some false memory that was put in my head. I didn't do it. And, and he actually suffered. And he suffered for our sins, he said on Easter Sunday. And he took the money on behalf of all Canadians. That's why he took it. And the CBC loved it more than loved it. Look at this guy. This can only be described with the word erotic. I've been listening to you since the beginning and how can you be so mentally strong? Because like, you seem so zen after everything that happened to you. You seem so accepting of life. I'm super positive, but I, I know I wouldn't be where you are right now. And how do you do it? That's Woody Belfort, who's a wheelchair athlete, someone who's actually overcome something and being a role model for good. He actually seems like a good guy. I'm not going to come down on him too hard. He's just a normal guy who by chance was stuck on a variety show the same day as a terrorist was. Everyone was treating the terrorist like a hero in that room. Belfort actually had the last comment of the day. All the smart people were, all the informed people, all the powerful people were gushing over Cutter. So I think... He was just copying them, just articulating what they were showing by their deference, by their cheering, by their applause. Hey, Omar Khadr, what, what's it like to be so awesome? Can I be more like you? Hmm. 
Well, I showed you my tweets about this yesterday. I have to say, it started a firestorm, and I don't think the CBC was used to criticism like that. I mean, like Trudeau giving Cotter 10.5 million bucks. I think they were surprised that not everyone has a crush on a war criminal and a murderer. My first tweet about their gross welcome for the murder was, imagine clapping for a murderer, they clap for him, they play music. That tweet, look at this, this is Twitter statistics, has been seen nearly 650,000 times it's been read, and the video on it, 200,000 times. I imagine that that's pretty much as many people as actually watched the actual TV show, the actual interview on the CBC. As many people read my criticism of it, that's pretty cool. And that was just me. Thousands of other people were talking about how gross this was on the CBC. They were overwhelmed. But look at how the CBC's boss of that TV show responded again and again. You are nobody. You're nobody. I can't answer. You're nobody. No face. No name. I'm not answering you. You're nobody. To countless critics. Now, he blocked me altogether. But to so many others, he calls them nobodies, nothings, non-people, Nothing but a tirade of insults. He's a government journalist at the state broadcaster talking this way to taxpayers. Like I say, he greeted the terrorist like he was meeting a head of state, someone of great honor. But mere citizens who pay for the CBC and thus for his own salary, they're nothings, they're nobodies. Know your place. The CBC is so gross. But wow, was the public mad, and it actually became U.S. news, too, with so many prominent American pundits linking to the issue. And um, I'd say it was a bit of an international incident, you might say. In fact, that's what the big newspaper in Montreal said. In international, that's my terrible French accent, that means an international shame. But if you read the story, and I won't read it for you, you can guess what it says. It's a total love-in for Omar Khadr, total love-in for the CBC, and a hatred for any bigots who don't see Khadr that way. The press is actually saying, their headline there, they're saying that the criticism of Omar Khadr and the treatment of Omar Khadr, that's the international disgrace. I'm serious. That's what they said. Hey there, Quebec. I love you. I really do. No, I do. I, I do. How can you not love Quebec? It's an amazing place. But remember just a week ago, this senior Muslim activist in Quebec threatened to burn down Montreal's ancient cathedral. Remember that? There are terrorist plots all the time in that province. We just talked about the other day, the murderer of Nathan Cirillo. He was a Quebecer. The Villarreal plots, Quebecers. There's a huge Muslim population in Quebec that came from French-speaking North Africa. Many of them are extremists. Some are violent. So yeah. You like to virtue signal in Quebec, I get it. You're with the CBC, I get it. You pervert convicted murderers to the taxpayers who pay your bills, I get it, I know. It's so gross, but I don't want these CBCers to die because of it. I don't want them to be killed. But when you turn devils into angels, when you turn murderers into victims, when you hate citizens but love Al-Qaeda, as surely as night follows day, death will come to you. Now, I don't want that for the CBC. I don't want that for Quebec. I hope it doesn't happen. But they played with death on Sunday night. They bought death himself a cup of tea. They greeted death. They sat down with death himself. 
Don't be surprised if death comes back again with sound, not music this time, but with explosions. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, it has been a week since Alberta's accidental NDP government was reduced to an opposition party, granted one of the largest oppositions Alberta has had in memory. Normally that place operates rather like a one-party state. Uh, Jason Kenney, the new premier who will be sworn in in about a week, says that he will make rekindling the oil patch and building pipelines his obsession. That's the word he used, and I think people are glad to hear it. Or at least Albertans are, but what about the rest of the country? Within hours of Kenny's victory, the Quebec legislature, which they somewhat presumptuously called their National Assembly, passed a motion unanimously rejecting oil sands oil. It wasn't just the parties of the hard left. It was the alleged Conservative Party, the governing party, the CAC, the Coalition Avenir Quebec, led by Francois Legault. And now you hear voices, including those of, well, for example, this guy. Jamie Carroll, former director of the Federal Liberal Party, saying Justin Trudeau shouldn't just block any pipelines, he should block them as a rebuke to Alberta to punish Alberta, voting for Kenny and canceling the carbon tax. The website itself is owned by Bruce Cameron, the father of Justin Trudeau's director of communications. So this is the kind of talk they actually have in those circles. Joining us now to talk about what all this means is our friend Lauren Gunter, senior columnist, with the Edmonton Sun. Lauren, great to see you again. Good to see you. Um, Am I overreacting to that column by Jamie Carroll? I think it's just a liberal getting his two minutes of hate out on Alberta, but he he calls Albertans the usual racist, bigot, homophobe. Like he basically has one final go at Kenny in the style that the liberals were all campaign. Didn't work in the campaign, but he's, he poses as giving advice to Justin Trudeau, and he's telling Trudeau to, to basically write off Alberta and use it as judo, to, to hate Alberta, and you're probably going to lose the handful of seats there, but hate it to the delight of B.C. and Quebec, to, to officialize and normalize the policy of hate the oil patch, hate the oil sands, hate Alberta, and triangulate that way to win. That's the, that's the prescription on this official hey. liberal page. Yeah, and I and I don't uh, and I don't dismiss that uh, easily or or, or even uh, uh, well. I, I, this could easily be what they're thinking of. You have to remember, uh, as I'm sure you do, in the 1980 uh, campaign. This is the one after the very short-lived Joe Clark government. Uh, Keith Davey, who was the longtime national campaign director, uh, made a senator so that he could work full time on liberal re-elections. Uh, his motto inside the uh, war room, the, the liberal war room at the time was, screw the West, we'll take the rest. Yeah. And uh, I can easily see that happening. Now, they, they don't 
think they have any chance at all of holding on to three of the four seats that they won in Alberta in 2015. And they're not very confident they have much of a chance on the fourth one, which is Edmonton Centre, uh, held by uh, a guy named Randy Boissonneau, who, if, if you were watching really carefully at the Justice Committee during the SNC-Lavalin investigations, was in charge of killing uh, the questioning into SNC-Lavalin. So if Edmonton voters have been paying attention, he's out too. Mm -hmm. So they don't think they have many uh, chances of winning any seats in Alberta. And even if they did, the top number they would get would be four. By contrast, they have 18 in BC and they have over 40 in Quebec and they need to hold on to all of those if they have any hope at all of winning, especially with the damage done by SNC-Lavalin in that ring around Toronto. I mean, this all starts to sound very esoteric and mm-hmm. and sort of like uh, playing Tetris. But, uh, you know, they've lost much of that ring around Toronto, at least temporarily. So they have to hold Quebec. They have to hold BC. And one of the ways they could do that easily would be to uh, uh, kill Trans Mountain. And, and as you will recall, because I've said it many, many times on your show, uh, I one of the reasons I was convinced they bought Trans Mountain, the federal government bought Trans Mountain back uh, uh, not quite a year ago now, was so that they could kill it if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. So they could hold off on mm-hmm. getting it built until after the federal election, at the very least, and if they needed to, they could kill it entirely. Uh, and uh, and so I still think it's all a very plausible scenario. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I, um, I, it, it, you're, you mentioned SNC-Lavalin, and that there's, there's so many aspects to it, but even putting aside the corruption aspect and, and the actual interference with criminal prosecution, what it's done is it's taken the bloom off the rose. It's finally scraped the Teflon off Trudeau, and it's taken away his running on sizzle because all the dreaminess, it's, the, the feeling is gone. The romance is gone. Yep. And his feminism, I mean, he just loses <laughs> women yeah. candidates every week now. Like, so w- there's not a lot of there there after you strip yeah. away the, the superstructure. You know, you- you, you tossed off your accountant husband because he was dull and a little controlling in favor of the pool boy. And now you wake up and find the pool boys going through your purse. And that's basically <laughs> what's happened. Well, and here's my point about that is they can't run on, I'm fresh. It's 2015, gender yeah. equity. Like they can't run on that. And although they love to bash Stephen Harper, I don't even think that's connecting anymore. But right. there's two things I've heard from the liberals since February when the SNC-Lavalin bombshells started exploding. One of them was they've gone so hard on climate change, global warming, carbon tax. They've just let Catherine McKenna loose, Trudeau himself. So they've gone so nuts on that. And the other is they've been trying out, you're a Nazi, you're a Nazi. There's Nazis everywhere, Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. And both of those elements are in this op-ed by Jamie Carroll, calling Albertans thugs, Nazis, right-wing fascists, and saying we have to punish them because they're climate criminals. I have to say, I don't know what else these guys are going to run on, Lauren, because they can't run on the economy. It's starting to falter. They can't run on foreign affairs. That's a disaster. They can't run on harmony with the provinces. I think they're going to run on those two hateful things we see in that article. Yeah. Uh, call their enemies well, so. racist and, and yeah. push the green agenda. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's because both of those appeal 
to younger voters who uh, don't have as much connection with economic uh, decision making as as middle aged and older voters do. And uh, that might impassion uh, those uh, younger voters to come out in greater numbers and vote liberal. Uh, you know, there's you know, as well as I do better probably than I do that the instant you say something that isn't politically correct at 100%, you get lambasted for being a racist. Well, that's all because on social media, the majority of people who drive that agenda are under 30. And so Trudeau needs the under 30s to come out. They are also the people who are most passionate about uh, climate change because they are the, the first full generation to have had nothing but climate change propaganda in school for 12 years and then in university after that. And so, sure, I can, I can easily see those two being the pillars of the Liberals' re-election uh, bid and cancelling Trans Mountain would be it. And so you notice that in the last few days, uh, uh, Justin Trudeau announced that the decision on whether or not to reapprove Trans Mountain, which was canceled, the, the construction permits for which were canceled last year by the federal court in August, uh, the decision now that they've had the National Energy Board say, yes, it's still okay environmentally, and they're in the middle of consultations with the indigenous group. The decision was supposed to be done by the end of May. It's now not going to be done until late in June. And I can easily see them coming out and saying, yeah, you know, we're very concerned about the the uh, uh, southern resident uh, killer whale population that will be affected by this. And we've heard from a lot of, of indigenous groups that this will disrupt their traditional way of life. Uh, and so, we, you know, as as much as we'd like to get this built, we simply can't see any way to do it. Uh, and and I could easily see that as a, as a launch for them into the fall federal election. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, uh, I mean, I never believed for one second that Justin Trudeau was for any pipeline. The only pipeline he right. pretended to support was the Keystone XL pipeline because he thought that it was already dead because Obama and Clinton had mm -hmm. killed it and Clinton would win again and it would be dead, dead, dead. He did not expect Trump to come back and revive it. So that was the only pipeline he publicly mused he might support. <laughs> he was against Energy East. He killed uh, Northern Gateway. He's against Trans Mountain. I never believed for a second he had Alberta's interests in mind, ever. I never believed <laughs> it about Rachel Notley either. I, I think it took a lot of effort for people to pretend to believe it or to force themselves to believe it. But that kind of raw demonization, like you say, screw the West, we'll take the rest. That's the opposite of sunny ways. Do you think he's going to do it? And, and more importantly, do you think the media political establishment will embrace him as enthusiastically being nasty as they did when he was being nice? Yeah, I, I do, unfortunately. I, I think that the same outlets that have fawned all over him uh, for his sunny ways are going to uh, chomp big time on on the uh, uh, the bone that he's offered, the two bones he's offering now, the, the climate change and uh, right-wing extremism or white nationalist extremism. Uh, because they live in that world. I mean, you you had on your site, I think it, it went up yesterday, the, the city TV uh, news panel in Edmonton on the night that uh, that Kenny was elected, being absolutely astonished that he'd won because every panelist was someone who didn't know anyone voting 
UPC or UCP. Yeah. Uh, they were all people who were aghast by uh, the UCP stance on gay straight alliances. They were aghast on the the economic side of it, the environmental side of it, and and they only people they ever talked to were people who were equally aghast. And then when Kenny won a huge majority, a very resounding majority, everywhere but Edmonton is completely blue with a few little tiny microscopic pixels of orange. Um, uh, that just flabbergasted them. They'd never seen that coming because they, they don't understand Alberta. They don't know anybody beyond their own little circles. And I think that that uh, you're going to see that sort of strategy or that sort of, of reaction from the mainstream media based in Toronto, uh, Montreal and Ottawa uh, in the upcoming uh, election. Sure, they love the sunny ways. Yes, they, they were quite happy to embrace Trudeau and his positive nature, but they also see these boogeymen that the federal government claims to see, that the federal liberals claim to see. And so they'll be just as happy to be nasty as they were to be sunny ways. Yeah. Well, my last question, and thank you so much for being so generous with your time, Lauren. Um, Jason Kenney is an interesting character, and I've known him for more than 20 years. Um, He's smart. He's a good debater. uh, He's a quick thinker. And when he wants to, he can be a tough fighter. Um, How do you think he will react? On election night in Alberta, he spoke a lot in French, which sounded like an attempt to offer a fig leaf to Quebec. It was immediately slapped out of his hand. I think he has big dreams of being the grand reconciliator or something. I don't think the other side is going to let that happen. So how does Jason Kenney who I think harbors ambitions to be prime minister one day. He's bilingual. He has a good national footprint. Why not? I think that he wants to remain popular in Ontario and Quebec and other places, but his job now may involve fighting at least Ottawa. How's he going to handle the coming six months? I see it slightly differently. I mean, I agree with all of those things that you said, that those are all things that are that have played out in his mind at one time or another. But I see another one, too, and that is he has to put out the fig leaf. He has to show that he's tried to be conciliatory, because then when he comes down like a ton of bricks on, on with using the Constitution and, and, and pushing the federal government really hard, uh, then he can at least say, look, I tried the peaceful way. I tried to be Mr. Nice Guy. But but no one wanted to listen. And so now we have to play tough. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it's a tough position to be in because as Alberta Premier, you you know what has to be done in order to, to better the Alberta economy, which also will better the national economy. But we are now finding with the BC government, the Quebec government, uh, and certainly with the federal government, uh, people who live in, in Fantasy Island and Cloud Cuckoo Land uh, and, and who just think that, well, if we don't have oil, we'll have uh, bug burps and we'll all get rich uh, making apps for uh, alternate energy that we can put onto our smartphones. And no one understands the practical side or the impractical side of that. They just magically think there'll be wands waved and and we'll all all have great, well-paying jobs in a prosperous economy without any connection to reality. Yeah. You know, I... It frustrated me to see that unanimous uh, vote in the Quebec legislature. They've never had such votes against American oil imports, which is actually a huge source of oil in 
um, Quebec now by rail. That's what blew up in Lac Mégantic. I've got nothing against American oil. I just don't understand why Quebec despises Canadian oil but loves American oil by rail. That's fracked, by the way. Again, I love fracking. Uh, but Quebec says it doesn't. And they love this, the OPEC oil imports. I just think there's a grave moral injustice here. And for too long... Quebec could, Quebec could probably raise about $2 billion for its own government coffers if it allowed fracking in Quebec, yeah. which it will not do. Yeah. But it doesn't have any trouble bringing in fracked oil from the United States. I mean, there's just so many incongruities yeah. and inconsistencies and hypocrisies in, in environmental thinking uh, that, that some days I laugh and other days I wake up and I just want to spit barbed wire. Well, we'll see. It's very interesting days and we've enjoyed covering the election. And I think in some places we actually made a, a small difference. We certainly had a lot of fun. Very interesting days ahead. Lauren, I hope we can keep in touch with you as this story evolves. All right, there you have it. Thanks for your time, my friend. There you go, that's Lauren Gunter, senior columnist for the Edmonton Sun. I think it's about to get very interesting. Stay with us, more ahead on The Rebel. Hey folks, on my interview with Pamela Geller, Keith writes, it was good to see Pamela Geller again. She and Robert Spencer were two of the best commentators on YouTube, and I think they know more about Islam than many Muslims do. Than Muslims do. Um, well, Robert Spencer is a, is a scholar, and he wrote very interesting history about uh, Islam and the jihad. Very, very interesting. And Pamela Geller is a fighter. I've talked to Pamela many times, and before 9-11, she says, she was a normal New York gal. Uh, I think she liked to party and go to clubs and restaurants and loved her city. That event transformed her into a warrior princess. And I agree with you. On my monologue yesterday about Omar Carter receiving a hero's welcome, we followed up on it today. Um, I mean, it was on Easter Sunday. Can you imagine? Robert writes, this is a new low for the CBC. Oh, no, 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 no. When they hit rock bottom, then they keep on digging. You've seen nothing yet. The election's coming. Watch. The next six months will be the worst six months in history at the CBC. Mark my words. Peter writes, that's the first time I ever heard you use the word satanic. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't reach for that word a lot because um, I'm not trying to say supernatural. I'm not trying to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not referring to God as a supernatural being or you know, a, a devil or a fallen angel. I'm saying when you invert all of morality, when you turn man's nature inside out and our culture upside down, that is, I think that's Satanism. I think the symbol of the upside down cross, which sometimes is exactly it, everything's upside down. It's upside down when you greet a war criminal with a strobe light and a sparkle disco ball and music and and clapping like that. And when that fell at the end said, you're so amazing that that they're, they're not uh, that's satanic. Yeah. In, in the in, even in the secular meaning of that. And I'm sure there's a supernatural or religious or theological meaning of that, too. Oh, it's terrible. Kennedy writes, the CBC are a disgrace of an outfit. I really wonder who is running this organization. I would vote for any party that's got defunding the CBC on this platform. Yeah, uh, don't expect that to happen anytime soon. 
Uh, Stephen Harper, who was probably the most right-wing prime minister we'll see in our lifetimes, did not privatize the CBC, let alone shut it down. And if he didn't in his, what was it, three terms, don't expect the new guy to. If it's Andrew Scheer, he's never even hinted that he would do that if elected, never even hinted at it. Um, you know what, though? I think not only was that one of Harper's two greatest mistakes, the second was not packing appointments like to the Supreme Court. He just absolutely gave all the courts to the left. But I think not shutting down the CBC was a strategic historical legacy error by Harper. Not only would he have shaped the country, uh, but he would have probably saved himself an election. I'm not saying Harper would have won a majority, but he probably would have eked out a minority. The CBC came to kill him because he didn't kill them first. I, I don't actually mean kill. That's an Omer Cotter phrase. I mean, you know, privatize. That's our show, folks. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. Thank you.